This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com or at dydownload20 or on Twitter at dydownload20 if you have any other questions there. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. If you sign up for our mailing list, you will get a copy of my full 2021 Rookie Dynasty rankings that won't be up on the website. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. With that, good to be back with you, buddy. We're getting into the uh, part of the show where we're doing more two-a-weeks as opposed to just the ones. But let's get right to the news. COVID is back in the NFL. Yeah, the Titans and the Buffalo Bills. Um, that you got to be happy if you're them that it's not the middle of the year. Well, we already had talked about previously that the Vikings kind of got hit with it, where their quarterback room got uh, basically close contact issues for what was it like four days of practice or something to that effect. And we were very aware that Kirk Cousins is against taking the vaccine, but some of the other outspoken people in this case, Cole Beasley got fined today for breaking COVID protocols. Not a huge surprise when it comes to that. Uh, His teammate, Isaiah McKenzie also took to Twitter for that. I know that's been kind of floating around all day, but Ryan Tannehill is at least sitting out for a while from practice. Uh, It also sounds like CD lamb is going to miss the next five to 10 days as well due to the protocol. I don't know if he's sick, but it's possible he was in some type of close contact. That's, Unfortunately, going to keep him out. He would be, though, on track yet to play week one uh, in case that comes to mind. But even so, I think the larger point is not that Ryan Tannehill or CeeDee Lamb necessarily has COVID, but rather that we're going to be dealing with this stuff all season again. And not to ignore it, even though last year I think we were much more fearful. You and I said on this program we weren't sure – how long a season we were going to have. We thought at different points it might even shut down, but we got through it. I think they're going to push on. I don't know if there will be any forfeited games. I would probably say if, uh, or push a large bet against it, but it's going to be something that we're dealing with. Well, forfeited games, that is one of the consequences, right? If they can't reschedule it. Exactly. And I think there won't be a, what it was it Kendall Hilton or, Kadar Hilton, something like that, the wide receiver that played quarterback for Denver last year. I I don't think there will be an instance of that game this year. All right, Uh, moving on to the next topic then, injuries. Let's give you some quick updates. We mentioned it on the show the other night, but Travis Etienne is now officially out for the entire season. He has to have Liz Frank surgery on his midfoot sprain. He will miss the entire season, and at this point, I will insert James Robinson conversation here. Where do you have him, I guess, ranked given this news? I thought we were going to be done talking with him. You know, I think we both thought that like he was going to be a one-year deal, but here we are, James Robinson, year number two. Um, I think you have to treat him as a uh, running back one, though, from what he did last year 
to having a better quarterback, even to having a better receiver room as well. That should open things up. But then again, on the flip side, he's not going to probably get as big of a workload as he got last year as well. Uh, I still think he'll be a running back one, maybe the back end of running back one, but nothing worse than running back two. I completely disagree to treat him as a running back one. I, I think there are at least 15 guys that I'd rather have ahead of him, and that's even with ETN being out. You talk about what that Jaguars team was last year with Gardner Minshew, and then they had a string of other quarterbacks. I mean, it was the most unstable quarterback position in football last year, save for the Washington football team. So I think more of it had to do with, they didn't have a whole lot of options other than James Robinson for a good portion of the year. He got absolutely crazy levels of volume. And despite missing time, missing games, he still at the end of the year had 87% of the total targets and carries for that backfield. Even with ETN going out, I don't think that a team that brought back Tim Tebow because he was a former Urban Meyer guy is going to completely ignore a Carlos Hyde. This is a position where I just don't see him getting the same level of volume that he did last year. And while I agree that he should be treated as better without ETN there to siphon off carries, I think we get into this mode of thinking he's going to perform as well as he did last year. And I just don't think that's going to be the case. I put him on the level of maybe a Chris Carson, I think is a good comparable. He may be around the Deandre Swift, JK Dobbins of the world, where I think he's a clear running back too, with maybe a little bit more upside, but I don't put him in the running back one conversation for myself. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that. Like I said, back end of running back one, I think he can flirt with it if he has another good year. But I agree with everything you said with more weapons, better quarterback, all that other fun stuff, not as big of a workload. But maybe the opportunity will get better as well because not as many people will be keen on him. But I do think you're right in a, in a way of saying Urban Meyer does love his players and he always has. I think we're going to see some Carlos Hyde and I think we're going to see more more Carlos Hyde than we should. But It'll be interesting to see what he does with this football team. Well, and I think the other thing to consider is is who's getting the goal line work because Carlos Hyde is a little bit bigger back. And I think they're going to spread out the the carries and the overall touches at times. I agree that James Robinson is a more talented and younger player that probably should get more carries. But if Jacksonville's really going to try and spread things out as most teams do, I would agree. Carlos Hyde will probably see too much of the football for fantasy managers to consider him in that conversation. But I also do think they're going to have a better time throwing the football this year that they just didn't last year. I think he got a lot of receiving yards. He got a lot of catches and targets out of the backfield that may not be part of this offense this year. But then again, they may have more scoring opportunities with just simply a better offense. So it may all even out. I just there are at least 15 guys that I can name that I, I think I'd rather have than him. That's not to say that if you selected him in the third round of your redraft league, that that's a poor pick. I, I actually think at this point that if he's your RB two, I'd be very satisfied. All right. Dak uh, was back in practice throwing this week. He is not officially doing full reps, but he is at least throwing I take that as somewhat of a good sign. I think the Cowboys still think that he is going to be ready for week one against Tampa Bay on that opening Thursday night. 
Are you at all concerned about some of the reports that Dak is going to be dealing with stuff, both the leg and the shoulder, pretty much for the entire season? And how does that affect your rankings of him going forward? I don't think it affects um, my rankings for him at all. I do think he's going to be dealing with certain things, but I don't think you can name one NFL player that plays consistently on Sunday, Monday, and sometimes on Thursday that is 100% (laughs) ever after they play their first game. Yeah, I think he's going to be dealing with some things, but I also think that he is a phenomenal talent with an incredible offense and a very good offensive mind at head coach and at play caller with, um, damn, what's his name? Kellen Moore. Um, so I do see Dak having another really big year. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, what he was doing before for those first couple games, but I do see Dak being a surefire quarterback one towards the top hat or top five, um, flirting with the top five. Yeah, I could buy that, especially because I do still think he's going to have a running element to his game. He's not going to be heavy in it, but when you're talking about a goal line package, I do think they're still going to run the read option down there, much like the Cardinals, and he's going to vulture some touchdowns um, just with his legs, which is going to give him an additional boost in in addition to the fact that their defense is not going to be good and his passing volume is going to be high this season, at least in my thoughts. I don't know if it'll be the same as what we saw early on last season, but it could be even a fraction of that is still like elite. Yeah, right. I mean, the de- the defense will be better, but I don't think it's been fixed enough to where Dak can have an off day and they're still going to be in a ball game. I think there's going to be a lot of shootouts that happen for this football team. Okay, let's turn to the San Francisco 49ers and a halfback that had some real injury issues last year. There were a couple of sparse reports that uh, Raheem Mostert tweaked his back yesterday in practice are you concerned yet especially since the reporting is not official and is does this affect any concerns with him going forward yeah absolutely especially a back on a running back you know somebody that uh that type of injury you feel every single time you carry the football not to mention we are talking about Mozart, who does deal with injuries on a pretty consistent basis I'm feeling very, very good if I drafted Trey Sermon because I think he's going to get a lot of work and he's going to be one of those rookie running backs that has one of those years where it's just like, oh, wow, especially in that type of offense. So uh, if you have Trey Sermon, I don't know whoever does, um, but if you have him, I feel like you got to be pretty happy with with what's going on. (laughs) Not uh, doing any backflips at all, but. It does confirm what I eventually thought might be the case is that it's only a matter of time because while Mostert is good and fast and fits well with that 49er offense, and I think they have confidence in him, he just seems to be wearing down with the amount of carries he took a couple of years ago when they got to the Super Bowl. And if he's already dealing with some back issues, I want to say he had back issues last year that held him out of several games. If that's the case and that's going to start lingering, I think you end up seeing Trey Sermon a little bit sooner than we thought maybe even a week or two ago. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Then our last one up is Darrell Henderson Jr. Uh, Sprained his thumb. We kind of talked about it a little bit the other day, and then I'll kind of tie it in. We'll just kind of jump to it. 
The Rams also made a trade for Sony Michelle from the Patriots as well. Let's just talk about this situation that's been muddied ever since Cam Akers uh, tore his Achilles earlier on in the offseason. Where do you see this position going at the moment? Man, I'm telling you, if you were a Henderson owner after the Cam Akers injury, even let's back up further than that, you're feeling pretty good. He's getting a lot of work with Cam Akers still on the field. And then kind of Cam Akers turns it on and you kind of feel like, oh man, I don't have, is he even worth holding on to anymore? Fast forward a little bit, Cam Akers gets hurt. And now it's like, oh man, with the volume I got last year, you think with the volume I could get this year that it could be a really, really incredible year. Then you get hurt and they also make the trade for Sony Michelle. Do you remember how confusing the Rams backfield was last year? I know you do because you have Cam Akers. I feel that's what it's going to be again. You're not going to know who the true running back one is. You're not going to know what week should I start this guy? What week I'm going to start this guy. And it's going to be very, very frustrating. And you're going to have to get lucky sometimes, I think. Well, I remember several games last year where I want to say one of the, and this was a three-headed rotation with Malcolm Brown, who's now with the Dolphins. But one back would get like 15 carries, one would get 10, and one would get five. And I think that realistically, I very much see Sony Michelle as being the power short yardage, maybe even goal line back over Darrell Henderson. But he's going to get all of the catching work because we've known for a while Sony Michelle's not a great receiver. He's not great in pass pro in passing situations, he's probably not going to be on the field. So I still think of Darrell Henderson as being the primary guy in this offense, especially between the twenties and probably the guy, if you're going to take either that I want, but given that he's been nursing an ankle injury all camp and now this thumb issue and he had injuries last year, and it just seems like he is waiting to bust a wheel and break down. And I don't think that the Rams even for anybody that went out on the waiver wire and picked up Michelle this week or anybody that's considering drafting him. I don't think the Rams are done acquiring guys to plug into that situation. I think they're going to wait for cut downs and they're going to pick up somebody else yet. That's going to be on their roster to kind of fill out that backfield because they're a run first team that sets everything else up and they can't afford to not have somebody that's at least capable of taking a good amount of carries per week. Yeah, you got to imagine if that changes a little bit, though, because they have Matt Stafford over Jared Goff, and I think that's a huge upgrade. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I also feel like this is a team that's not afraid to spend money. They're not afraid to go in and accumulate dead money as well, making mistakes. So, yeah, I think they're going to be very active as well on cutdown day. All right, and then the last one I wanted to mention, or as far as things, this is not injuries anymore, But we did have two quarterbacks named the starters. One was rather obvious coming in. Trevor Lawrence was finally named the Jacksonville starter for week one. I think everybody assumed that both he and Zach Wilson would eventually be the starters for their respective teams, having gone number one and number two in this year's draft. But also Teddy Bridgewater beat out Drew Locke for the Denver starting position, at least to this point. How does that affect your rating of either the Jaguars pass catchers or the Denver pass catchers. Listen, I had DJ Moore last year. (laughs) I don't, 
I'm not in a very good place with Teddy Bridgewater at the moment. So I may be a little biased, but you know, he was, he brought Robbie Anderson back, you know, and made him a consistent wide receiver. Curtis Samuel, even for a little bit as well, he was a pretty consistent wide receiver, somebody that you could start and depend on week after week. I just don't know. I, I would not be happy at all if I owned Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton. I know that they're going to get their points. I mean, he has to throw the ball to somebody, but he's just not your typical down-the-field quarterback. Drew Locke. I said it, sorry, Drew Locke, real quick. Drew Locke, I feel like I said it last year, that that last year was his make-or-break year, and he did nothing with it. So I guess, honestly, I'm really not surprised. But at the same time, it's a little frustrating. There's been talk of Judy being a little bit more in the slot this year, which I like from a standpoint that I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to dump the ball down a lot. He's very conservative. He likes to throw short. A lot of his passes are within 10 yards. So a guy that has lateral quickness like Judy is a good route runner like Judy probably is going to see an uptick in my estimation. I think Noah Fant being a big body target, while Fant's biggest advantage is he's big body, but also very quick, may not be utilized in this. His ability to get open quickly under 10 yards and be a big body might be to his advantage. I also see if one of these running backs emerges, so Melvin Gordon, I think, was inside the top 15 of overall running backs last year, and he can catch the football, or we know Javante Williams is capable of doing it if he eventually emerges from this backfield. If one of those two guys gets it, I think that they're going to get a lot of check down passes. So one of them might be valuable if the other one does get hurt or is not playing as well. So I, I think this is actually good for everybody around them in spurts. The one person that I would say it's not great for other than KJ Hamler, which I'm not sure anybody was drafting in a redraft setting anyway, but is probably Cortland Sutton, who is probably more on the outside. And I don't see him capable of making the Michael Thomas move when Teddy was the, I think, nine game starter for uh, New Orleans two years ago. And he had that huge explosion of targets with Michael Thomas all on very short intermediate routes. I don't see him as capable of doing that right away off of an ACL injury. So I think he's going to have a slow start, but I don't think that this quarterback room is settled. I think Teddy Bridgewater is the week one starter, but we wait and see uh, what he's going to do in week one before we are ready to say he's going to be the week two starter even. All right. So then let's get to our subject of the day. And it occurred to me that we may have some new listeners and some people joining us for the first time this season. So I just want to do a few refresher items as we kind of go along explaining the dynasty format since we are predominantly a dynasty focused show and why we specifically love this format by comparison so that we kind of give a new life to it every single year. You and I specifically want to advocate for dynasty as a format over all others. And it's just a good reminder or something to have in the ether why we do this and why we are promoting this specifically when it comes to fantasy football. So why do we love Dynasty League Football 101? 
I think the first thing that I would talk about is it's just a different mindset and that you have to come at it with such a different approach that it's refreshing by comparison to redraft. Yeah, to speak on this, and I think I've said this story a million times, so I guess I'll just make it long story short. You asked me to be in this league when you first started it, however many years ago. Um, I was young, I was immature, and honestly, I don't think I would have been ready for it. I don't think I thought that type of way about football players and, and football just in general. Redraft was good enough for me. We picking a new team each year, you know, um, that was good enough for me. And then you kind of came back around because the team opened up. You explained it to me. And I think the way you explained it to me, it made it sound like this is, this is just Madden. This is literally just fantasy football Madden. And uh, fast forward to where we're at now, I really don't play any other style of fantasy besides Dynasty because of that aspect. It's just really fun for me. I haven't had to do a rebuild since I took over. So knock on wood, everything's going well, but it's fun for me to, to tear something down and rebuild it kind of in your own image and then to manage it and maintain it to try to stay on top as long as you can. So you kind of transitioned already to the next two points I was going to make. Building a team, I think, is one of the most rewarding parts of this. When you have a really good draft, like mine last year, or the year that I took uh, both uh, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, and I want to say like Mike Williams all in the same draft, I, it, those are the rewarding ones when guys hit and you can build relationships with them. The story of how I got Patrick Mahomes is just one of my favorites. And it's no coincidence that he's my dynasty quarterback and has become one of my favorite players to just watch purely because he is my dynasty quarterback. I think that having these long-term relationships endears you to certain players. I know that you've done it with Zeke over the years and that's because Zeke was your first pick ever. So there's a certain quality to building up these long-term relationships that you're not going to get in redraft when you can cut a guy if he's hurt and just leave him on the scrap heap in order to compete for a championship. You certainly aren't going to do that with dynasty where if a guy misses a year, you've still got him for next year. You put him on the IR and you really have that turnaround. Yeah. Speaking on that building relationships and all that as well, I would say Zeke for sure. And then Dalvin cook is another one. Delvin Cook, I think, was my second like real draft where, but my first draft where like I put in work. Like I studied film, I read a million articles, I traded, and I ended up having the first pick and the third pick, you know, slapped myself in the face because I passed on Christian McCaffrey instead and took Joe Mixon. But, you know, I did so much work that offseason, and that was probably one of my best drafts that I ever had. But it was all big too because a lot of trades I made for early round or for early draft picks to build a team how I wanted to go in and getting my guys. That was that was a super fun summer leading up to the draft. I was super excited for the draft as well. But yeah, you talk bad about Zeke, it hurts my soul a little bit. I have to go digging down the internet to try to find facts to to prove you wrong. But yeah, Zeke's my dude. I completely understand um, where you're coming from with Mahomes. Like I've gone to battle for Zeke a couple of times and I, I will continue to do that. Well, it's really not hard to like Mahomes or 
be a fan of his. And I really don't have to argue or go on his case very often because he's been basically the number one quarterback for as long as he's essentially been the starter. So that's made it easier. But again, it's the story. It's the connection that you saw something and made a really bold move when other people didn't have the cojones to pull something off. I got him because I picked him up the year before for like week 17 and made sure that he was on my team because I'm like, oh, an Andy Reid quarterback. At worst, he's probably going to be a top 10 guy. I didn't think he'd necessarily be this, but pleasant surprises. The next thing I'd like to really point out, again, why I love this. I think that the connections are deeper with guys in your league than in a simple redraft. I know that sometimes having those, what, what do you want to say? Either rewards for winning or the stakes being big if you like are the last team. I know we, we talked a lot about the Waffle House thing the other day, but I think there is something to be said when you've been long-term in the same league with a lot of guys and you have the same players. Like I can easily identify most of Ben's team and give him shit about any one of those guys. You can with mine or with Dana's and it just goes on and on and on. It's not that you just build relationships between yourself and the players. You're building relationships between other people's players. And that's why you kind of go after and maybe hate on somebody else's because they're your co-host and you just want to give them a little bit of shit. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that to the fact to like redraft, like nine more often than not, once you get into a redraft, especially with a bunch of friends and stuff like that, and you know you're out and one of your friends are in, a whole bunch of bullshit and collusion happens and like people trade their whole team for other trade. That's never going to happen in Dynasty. You do that in Dynasty, you're literally shit out of luck. <laughs> oh, you I'll just killed you yourself for maybe league. 10. Well, that and you just killed yourself for like 10 freaking years. With redraft, it's fine. It doesn't matter. You pick a new team next year. Everybody forgets about it. Exactly. But you make a bad decision. You make a bad decision in Dynasty. That is going to mess with you for years and years to come. Like, I, for example, me last year taking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Trust me, I would much rather have Justin Jefferson on my team right now, especially with the way my wide receiver room is looking like it just every year. It's just getting older and older, I feel like. But you live and you learn Jalen Rager, you know, hopefully a year to breakout, but it's things like that and things that you can look back on. And yeah, it pisses you off, but it's also the fun of it too, because you look at guys, for example, me again, talking about Chris Godwin, somebody I took in the middle rounds, somebody that you may, or I offered you in a trade one year and you're like, he's not going to amount to anything. And I'm like, I really think that this guy is going to be really, really good. And it's just things like that which comes back to like building relationship with your players. It's like, I know this guy, I know he's going to be really, really good. It just makes it fun. I wholeheartedly agree. There, there are several things that I wish I could have back, but you know, and remember those stories because those situations will pop up. I've mentioned on here, cutting Odell Beckham before he took off, cutting Devonte Adams before he took off, trading Elvin Kamara for Odell Beckham Jr., Right before Kamara's second season and Odell Beckham Jr. basically went in the tank. You know, there's all those little things that you occasionally do. Not accepting DK Metcalf as a throw-in for a trade. You know, those those little things. Hey, man, DK was thrown in in a trade that I had last year, too. And I'm really pissed I let that one go. 
he ended up winning a championship in our league last year. But your trade with Alvin Kamara and OBJ, that basically sent Ben's team, that fast-forwarded him like three freaking years. You know, and that's sometimes the nature of the game, that they're the trades you wish you didn't make, but they're also the trades that you wish you did. And for every one of the blunders I've had, I've made some pretty good calls too. So I'm not knocking yeah. it one yeah. way or the other. I But everybody hey that's played long enough Ju- has those moments. I traded Jude Schuster for a first-round pick, and it ended up turning out to be a top-three pick. So, hey, man. Hey, man. I'm doing okay. <laughs> for every for every good one, you got a bad one, too. I mean – let's we can talk about Jonathan Taylor and Miles Sanders all day long yeah I certainly understand that so the next one I wanted to mention this is interestingly more cutthroat I think everybody takes extreme ownership of their team when they're invested I think once you buy into the concept of this that everybody's looking to get an angle on somebody else they almost want to not lose the trade more than they don't want to win the trade. And as a result, it has us playing a little bit more conservative, conservatively at times, but you know that again, and I'll combine this point with another one. If you get to the mountaintop, it's that much sweeter. Oh man. Absolutely. You know, your dad, I remember a couple of years ago, he was, he was laughing because, you know, he got, Kenny Galladay, or he felt like he traded Julio Jones, whatever that trade was. And you know what? He may have been right. That was probably Julio's last really great year, but I don't win a championship without making that trade. And to your point, I do think, especially in our league, there's a lot of trades where it's like, you know, you know, making a deal. I feel like the perfect deal is when both sides leave feeling like they kind of lost or feeling like they kind of gave up a little too much. We don't really get that in our, our league a lot. It's, it's, I feel like it's hard to make trades in our league. And I think it's just because we are so competitive with each other. We don't want to get bamboozled. I don't want to get bamboozled by you. That would piss the hell out of me. Um, you know, my friend, Tim, who, you know, he knows everybody in this as well, but you know, I've been talking his ass off about trades and stuff like that. And he's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I'm new here. You're trying to swindle me. And I'm like, no, man, I'm just talking. Like you can negotiate with me back. And he's like, no, I don't want to talk to you or just certain things like that. Um, I don't know if you and I will ever pull off a trade. I don't think so either. We're we're too similar. We know each other's (laughs) thoughts at this point that I I think it would be so hard for either of us to like ignore our prides and put that aside to make a deal. I don't think Ben and I will ever be able to make a trade. I don't even know if me and Dana will be able to make a trade. And I think it's just because I'm an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just what it comes down to. (laughs) Well, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) The last point I was going to make with this and why I really love it more than anything else. We've had a four-time champion. We have a two-time champion who is no longer part of the league in the like seven or eight years we've been doing this, you're a one-time champion. I think we had some other random person win it at, at some point, possibly, but those are only three. And part of it is because of the nature of keeping certain guys, 
you can be competitive for multiple years at a time. That is not something that you can offer in most redraft leagues where sometimes it's just luck of the draw, which draft position you end up with that you may not get the guys that you always want or the injuries may crop up. But when you have guys that are consistent and you know exactly which ones you can build off of, I think it makes for a different type of league that for two or three years, you can just dominate a league and then be done and you don't get anywhere close for 10. It, it presents a different challenge than anything else you're going to get. And I that's partially, but all of these points are why I think this is special and why I love it as much as I do. And I'll take my slight victory lap that I didn't on Tuesday because we had everybody show up to the draft. We have had almost everybody talking to me at some point or another this week about a trade or me evaluating stuff or just the amount of conversation and things that are going on in this league and the investment that we finally have from almost every member. I'm just going to take a personal pride moment as the commissioner, not as Tom Terrific. But as the commissioner that I finally, after seven or eight years, have gotten to the exact league that I wanted when we started this, because this league was almost defunct before I changed it into a dynasty one. And now it has probably the most fun of any league I'm ever a part. Insert round of applause. I don't have the sound effects. We're not that (laughs) kind of podcast yet. But yeah, no, absolutely. Like I've told you a million times, this is my favorite league. I don't see myself ever going back to Dynasty. I appreciate you coming around a second time and taking the time to explain it to me and getting me locked in because here we are. You know, back to your point, though, about being the top team for a few years. Now to pat myself on the back a little bit, you know, I've been to the championship now three years in a row looking for four, but after that, you start looking at people in the rear view a little bit. You know, you had an amazing draft last year. Ben's team just keeps getting better and better every single year. Dana seems to pull out wins out of his ass when nobody feels like he can do anything at all. But he'll Including Dana. Crap. Dude, but he'll manage the crap out of his team. You know, I feel like the younger guys, uh, by younger, I mean like newer in the league, I feel like they're grasping the concept quicker and quicker. I feel like the gap from the best team to the worst team each and every year, kind of getting each and every month now as free agency is going to come up, I feel like that gap is closing up a little bit more and more. As a team that had the number one overall pick and he traded it for Alvin Kamara, now his team is looking to be the projected. I know it's just projected, but still that says a lot. And the top three each and every week, you know, that says a lot. Maybe he sacrificed his future a little bit for it. But, hey, if you're trying to win right now, win right now. P.S. Ben, I really wish you would have let me know Kamara was available. I may have done a little something, something to try to get him. But I understand you're looking for a pick. So I guess that makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, to my point, Dynasty is so much fun. I'm glad I got my friend into it. I think he's getting super excited about it as well. Um We've been talking just between the two of us over the past couple of days just about the draft in general. I will say he was a little upset that the quarterback run happened a little bit before he wanted it to, but you know that's what makes it fun. And um, like I said, Dynasty, there's really no other format that I'd rather be playing. 
You want to know my favorite off-season stat when I started reading the draft grades on Sunday? What? Your team has the second highest average age per player. <laughs> Am I old? Yeah, you're, you're the second oldest. I'm old, I don't know huh? who's first. It doesn't really matter, but it just it's confirming exactly what I thought. Oh, well. Dude, that's crazy, too, because just a couple of years ago, I felt like I was one of the younger teams. Turns that but- quickly. Yeah, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, I got a rebuild NFL, coming in not a couple years. I got a rebuild coming in like a year or two. <laughs> Can all change overnight. Yeah, all right, it's fun. Well, we'll cut this short this week. We're still kind of working ourselves up to two episodes a week as we kind of prepare for the season. We've got a few things in store for next week that uh, I'll mention here in a second. But thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again next week. I think uh, roughly the episode will either release Tuesday or Wednesday. And we're going to talk about our 10 commandments of Dynasty football. But until then. Stay safe, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at DYDownload20. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. 